where we're going to be in the last chapter of the book, chapter 7, and the title of the chapter is How to Forgive Totally. Now, if you read the book, you'll realize that there's some uh, steps to total forgiveness in chapter 7 that you'll also find in chapter 2. So we've talked about these steps just a little bit. We want to dig into those here in just a few minutes. But I want to give you a couple verses, and I want us to get to some table discussion. But I want us to really open our minds tonight to say, Lord, if there is anybody in my life that I have not forgiven, or if there's anybody in my life that I need to go to and say, please forgive me, I was wrong. Lord, show me who that is. I want to be convicted over that. I want to know exactly who that is, and I want to deal with it. So I just want you to have an open mind tonight as we think through this, as we pray through this, as we look at God's Word. So the verse I want us to look at is Matthew 5.44, but I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. So this is Jesus speaking. It's the first chapter of his incredible message that he preaches, and he's talking a lot throughout the, the, the passage on forgiveness. He tells us uh, that we need to be forgiving people, especially our enemies. So these questions that I want you to, 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 to pose to you tonight for the table discussion is, who are the easiest people to forgive and why, and who are the most difficult people to forgive and why? So it's going to take a few minutes to, to discuss these questions, but here's the reason. I don't know if you found this, but I was reading this past week um, by a psychologist from Wisconsin who's done a lot of studying on forgiveness. And what he's discovered is, not from a biblical worldview, he's not a Christian, you can tell from his writing that he's not walking with the Lord, he's, he, he, just the way that he talks, and the whole reasoning behind forgiveness, but what he talks about are the physical benefits and the emotional benefits uh, with forgiving people. But it's interesting that later on in this article, he mentions that the hardest people to forgive are those family members that are really close to you. And the easier people to forgive are typically the people that you don't have as good a relationship with, even if they have hurt you to a higher extent, if you were just kind of put it down on paper. Now, we know that the people closer to us, when they hurt us, it's really a higher extent because you don't ever expect the person that you're close to to hurt you. But you know that it happens. So I want you to discuss just for a few moments who are the easiest, who are the most difficult to forgive in your life, and why. Take some time, talk about it, we'll come back together. All right, I don't know, I don't know who you came up with at your table, um, who are the easiest people to forgive and why, um, or the most difficult people. I, I thought with me personally, um, sometimes it's those that are just really close. Uh, sometimes it's just something that's said and you just hang on to it, uh, but it's, it's something that when I think about my relationship with Christ and I think about where I'm at with him in my walk and I think about all the times I mess up, all the times I sin, all the times I do things that cause him to say, why would you do that? And I think about how often and how many times each and every day he forgives me. This is the person, no, I'm not the person, this is God who I wake up with every morning and before I have conversation with my wife or anybody else, I have a relationship with him. I talk to him first thing. And I go to his word and I read and I study and I pray and I seek the Lord and then I'll, just an hour later, do something. I'll sin or do something that, 
you know, think a thought or say something that I shouldn't say, and yet he's right there to forgive me instantly. And this is what I've been praying throughout the course of this series, just in my own personal life. I want to be able to offer forgiveness as quick to other people as Jesus does to me. That's been my prayer, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll hold on to stuff. Sometimes I'll let things marinate a little bit, and I've been praying, Lord, I want to be that quick to forgive. I want to be that much like you. It's interesting that in the next chapter in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So he's telling us, listen, there's a result if you forgive. There's a consequence if you don't. The result is, if you will offer forgiveness, your Heavenly Father will offer forgiveness to you. The consequence is, if you don't forgive, Jesus will not forgive you. So what he says in the book here, um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, What he says in the book here on page 175, he says, the paradox in total forgiveness is that it simultaneously involves selfishness and unselfishness. I struggled through this quote. Okay, But this is what he says. He says, when you stop and look at what happens if you hold on to unforgiveness, the fact that Jesus says, I will not forgive you, he says, selfishly, you don't want that. You want Jesus to forgive you. So he says, the benefit is possibly bigger for you if you will offer forgiveness to someone else. But yet it's also this unselfishness that you would want to release that person from whatever it is they've done to you. But you know, something else that he talks about throughout this chapter that I really struggled with. I've read it a couple times. It's on page 171, and the the question that he asks is, why do I have enemies? And he goes through it and he talks about it. He says that basically most people would believe that the reason we have enemies is the devil. But he he has a paragraph in here that I want to read to you. He says, whereas a good case can be made that the motivation behind your enemy is the devil as well as the sinful flesh, the ultimate person you and I have an enemy is that it fits God's purpose. So us having an enemy fits God's purpose. Why, he asks. It is what we need. David needed an enemy. So do you and I. He talked about David having the enemy of Saul and how what ended up happening was, as Saul pursued David, Saul was never able to kill David, which was what his intent was. But what it did was, it took all of David's pride and all that stuff out, and he had to just draw close to the Lord. And so what happens is, when we have somebody that's done something against us, whether it be an enemy or somebody close to us, we can use it for one of two things. We can use it to draw close to the Lord, or we can use it to get hard and bitter. And so what, what, what Dr. Kendall says is, we actually need enemies. He says, so do you and I. It helps to humble us, lest we take ourselves too seriously. An enemy shows us what we are like. Frequently, God will allow an enemy to make a broadside attack on us, and then God appears to desert us. He did this with Hezekiah in order to test him and see what was in his heart. In our case, God often raises up an enemy to see if we really want to be like Jesus. He says oftentimes he'll raise up an enemy 
to see if we really want to be like Jesus. So this verse that he's talking about with Hezekiah is in 2 Chronicles 32, 31. It says, when the ambassadors of Babylon's rulers were sent to him to inquire about the miraculous sign that happened in the land, God left him to test him and discover what was in his heart. How many of you know that sometimes God allows us to be in the middle of a situation to see how we're going to respond, to see how we're going to react? Now, I have to make a confession to you. I'm more of a reactor than a responder. Now, specifically in the context of my marriage, my wife says something, my immediate reaction is just to react, and I don't know if you know this, but typically if you will react, it's usually not of the Lord. It's usually a fleshly desire. It's usually a fleshly response. And I am very good at coming back with a very quick answer, and it's usually not good. But if I take time to think through and pray through what I want to say, it's a response, not a reaction. And what he says right here is that God let him to test, left him to test him to discover what was in his heart. You really want to know what's in somebody's heart. See how they react and respond in the middle of a trial. My wife's father passed away when she was 11 years old. He loved the Lord. He was in the choir here at Bellevue. Um, just a great man. I never got to meet him, but from everybody I talked to, he was wonderful. And then my wife struggled a little bit uh, through middle school, and she had two older brothers who were a few years older than her, and both of them struggled. And then when she was um, 17 years old, her oldest brother, who had turned his life back around for the Lord, who was two weeks out from being a missionary in Costa Rica, was instantly killed in a car wreck up in Virginia. He had gone to church on a Sunday night, had left with some cousins. They went to dinner. They were pulling into a McDonald's from, uh, their light was green. They were pulling into the McDonald's, and he took off his seatbelt still on the road. A uh, street sweeper ran the red light, his red light, and, and killed him on impact. Now, my wife's middle brother, you know, he was, he was still struggling and wrestling with the Lord um, from the dad's death. And, and now he's got this. My wife had really struggled with the death of her father, but through some really godly women here at Bellevue that really poured into her, into her life, like Susan Mosier and Pam Golding and Leslie Hollowell, these godly women that poured into her life, she had gotten to where she had drawn close to the Lord. And so when they got the call in the middle of the night that her oldest brother had passed away, I was not there. I was in college, and we, we had... Uh, I would say not much of a relationship. I mean, we, we just, it was long distance, and we hadn't seen each other in a few years, so I wasn't really a part of this. But she tells me that when she got the call, the first thing that she did is she just went to the Lord and said, God, I don't understand why, but I choose to trust. I don't understand why, but I choose to trust. I've asked her before, how did you get to that point? How did you get to the point that when one of the worst things that could ever happen to you happened, you immediately went to the Lord. And she said, because I had seen God's faithfulness through all of the trials, all of the issues, all of the struggles, all of the things I had ever walked through. Now, the reverse effect of that is I have a friend who lost his father. And to this day, he's one of the most bitter people I know, and he's bitter at God. So the question is, how are we going to respond in these situations? So how do we prepare? How do we prepare our hearts that when someone does hurt us, that we are prepared to respond in a Christ-like manner? Well, it's a good question. I wish I had a perfect answer for it, but we're going to work through that. He says on page 175, as Christians, we do not have a choice. 
We forfeit our fellowship with God and blessings here below when we don't forgive. If we have been forgiven of all our sins, and this includes even sins we have forgotten about, how dare we withhold this from others? See, what he's saying here is, whether your heart's in a place that you want to forgive or not, it is our duty as a Christian to forgive. It is what Christ has called us to do. And let me say this. If Christ has called us to do something and we don't do that, what are we walking in? Sin. We're walking in direct disobedience. Direct disobedience. Now you can say, is there a difference between obedience and direct disobedience? I think there is to some point. In my home, um, we... We still give spankings. Now, if that's not a good thing in your, uh, you know, I, I'm, I hope I don't offend anybody, but we still spank in our house, okay? All right? And when I say we spank, I mean, we still spank, okay? Right, I got a paddle and we spank, all right? And, and, and I'd love to tell you that those don't happen very often, but they didn't happen today because I wasn't home, to be quite frank with you. I'll be home sometime tomorrow afternoon, and there probably will be some, okay? They'll be built up a little bit. But in our home, we spank for direct disobedience. Direct disobedience. If I say, don't do this, and you do that, that's a spanking, okay? And so if one of my children, if I say, I need you to take the trash out, and they don't take the trash out, that's, that, they're going to get a spanking. Next week, if I've told them, hey, I'd love for you all to take the trash out, if we could try to get it out on Wednesdays, and next week one of them doesn't take the trash out, I'm not going to whip them for that. I'm not going to just get home at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock and be like, hey, you're getting a whipping. The trash isn't on the street, okay? But if I say specifically, I need you to go take out the trash, they're going to get a spanker for that. There are consequences for direct disobedience. I will say this to you. There are major consequences to direct disobedience to God Almighty. Major. You want to know how major? Go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned once. And look what we were dealt. One time, Adam and Eve, right there in the garden, and all of humanity was changed. All of time was changed at that moment. God comes down, there's major consequences. And so what he's saying here is, if you don't, how dare you? Who are you? Why would you not? Now here's where it gets difficult. It gets difficult when it's somebody very close to us and it's something very difficult. For instance, if there was abuse, for instance, if there was embezzlement that made a person go bankrupt or something like that, that's where it begins to become very difficult. The question is, do we still offer forgiveness? Well, I would ask you, did Christ still offer us forgiveness on the cross? See, what Dr. Kendall says is there's pragmatic reasons for forgiving. There's two, to be exact, he says. First of all, we are to consider the consequences if you do forgive. We're to consider the consequences if you do forgive. The consequences are that you will walk in freedom and victory through Christ and that he will offer you forgiveness as well. All right, there's the pragmatic question number one. The second question that he says is this. Consider the consequences if you don't forgive. And I think this is the place that we have to get to to say, am I willing to walk in direct disobedience to God Almighty even though it hurt my feelings or even though it hurt my flesh, or even though it's something I can never forget. And there's a struggle there. Can I forgive even when I can't forget? Can I do that? We're going to talk about it in just a moment. He says that there are steps to totally forgiving others. Let me give you these, and then I want you to discuss them 
at your table. We talked about these in chapter 2, but I want to unroll them again here for us in chapter 7. The first one is, he says, make the deliberate and irrevocable choice not to tell anyone what was done to you. So, this person hurts me, you've got to make the choice and I'm not going to go and tell this person and this person and this person. Now, is there a time where there is a therapeutic reason to sit down with somebody and discuss this? I believe so. There are times that I've been hurt and I've gone home and I've sat down with my wife and I'll say, I need you to listen to what's happened and I'm just struggling through it. Now, here's one of the reasons I do that. Because this is the person that God has given me to walk through life together. And we are one flesh. And when she hurts, I hurt. And when I hurt, she hurts. And when she's happy, I'm happy and vice versa. And so when I need encouragement, she's there to encourage me. And when she needs encouragement, I'm to be there to encourage her. And so I may go and I may not tell her everything, but I may share just a little bit with her Not in a way to say, listen to what so-and-so did, but to say, I'm hurt. Will you help pray through this with me? But what happens is, is oftentimes we think we got to go and vent to a bunch of other people. And before long, this person did something to you on Monday, and by Friday, these seven people all know what that person did. That's not the way to biblically forgive. As a matter of fact, that's completely against Scripture in the book of Matthew. Because Matthew says if there's ought between your brother, if there's an issue between you and someone else, you are to go directly to that person. So Jason Walters, good friend, love him to death. As far as I know, we've never had an issue between us. But if, it's a big if, if something happened and Jason said something, it really cut me deep and it really hurt me. My job is not to go over here to Andrew and say, man, I got to tell you what Jason did. My job is to go to Jason and say, man, I don't, You may not have even meant it this way, but man, this really hurt. And now here's what the Bible says in Matthew. It says, if Jason is to accept that, I'm to never talk about it again. He says, listen, man, I'm sorry. I'm to forgive Jason, and that's the end of it. And that relationship should continue on. If Jason says, hey, man, you just need to get over it. Or, hey, I don't even want to talk to you about it. Then what the Bible says is, I'm to go and take another brother. So now is where it gets a little tricky because technically now you're going to have to tell somebody else what happened. Okay, This is not in a gossiping way. This is to bring restoration between another brother. And so what I would do is I would take somebody that knows both Jason and I, not just my best buddy, to go over there and gang up on Jason. It would, make, it would be somebody that is, is, is both of our friends and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. I know you weren't there. This is what happened. I was really hurt. Jason's unwilling to talk to me. Would you just go? I just want to make this right. I want this relationship to be restored. And then we're to go to him and try to do that. Does that make sense? So there's never a time when I'm supposed to go and vent to somebody else. So he says, make the deliberate and irrevocable. Now here it is, guys. This is the whole, this is this is this is the the piece of it that we have to understand. It's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Throughout the, the last few weeks, we, I've talked with many of you afterwards, like, how do I forgive for this and how do I forgive And the answer is this, I'm not really for sure exactly because I'm not in the middle of that situation, but you have to make the choice I'm going to forgive. You say, well, that sounds a whole lot easier than it really is. And that, that's right. But this is a choice. And so you make a choice that, listen, I'm not going to spread this around because I want my brother in Christ, right, to still have respect and honor. I don't want to drag him through the mud. So I make that, by the way, love you, nothing wrong between us. Number two, he says, be pleasant to them should you be around them. So he talks about in the book, if you totally forgive somebody, it doesn't mean they just automatically become your best friend. Maybe you were best friends. 
Maybe they hurt you so deep that you, it just cut the relationship. You could still come back and say, listen, this hurt. I struggled through it. I forgive you completely and totally. It doesn't mean that it's, that relationship's going to be restored to what it was. Okay? But it does mean that there's not going to be hard feelings. So if we happen to bump into each other down at Chipotle, we can have a conversation. And I can ask how his family's doing. And I can ask how his job's going. And I can ask how he's doing. Does that make sense? And sometimes you just have to say, Lord, I can't do this. That's the Lord, one of the Lord's favorite things he loves to hear. The Lord loves to hear, I can't do this. Because you know what you've realized? Lord, without you, I'm nothing. I've, I've, I've reached this point of total dependency. And oftentimes I've struggled through something. I've said, Lord, I can't do this. And it's like I just feel the embrace of God. And I'm not talking about physically. I just feel the Lord say, finally, finally got you to a place where you realize I'm all you've got. And so that's what we do. We say, Lord, I, I need you right now. I need you to fill me up. And you, you speak pleasantly to them. He says the third thing is, if conversation ensues, say that which would set them free from guilt. That's a tough one. So in other words, I'm at Chipotle. We're having conversation. We're in line. All of a sudden, I go and sit down. He sits in the, the, the table beside me, and he turns and he says, hey, man, you know, I, I know we hadn't talked in a couple of years. And he starts to go down that, that road of what happened. You say, hey, brother, God is good. I've forgiven you. I've completely forgiven you. As a matter of fact, I've not only completely and totally forgiven you, I've just been praying for you, brother. I've been praying God would bless you. And what you're doing is you're releasing him from that guilt that he's been living under for however long that's been. Let me ask you a question. Do you like when that guilt is released from you? Do you like when someone offers you that and all of a sudden you've been removed from that? You think about the keys that you can hold to not only your freedom from unforgiveness and bitterness, but also that you can unlock for somebody else and allow them to walk away. They still did it. They still struggled through it. But you say that which would set them free from guilt. That's difficult, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Number four, he said, let them feel good about themselves. Don't dog them. Don't tear them down. Don't say negative things. Let them walk away in peace. Let them walk away in peace. He says, protect them from their greatest fear. Say, hey man, I just want you, I love you. I've not been spreading, I hadn't told a bunch of people about this. This was between us. I've forgiven you, I've released it. I've prayed for you and for blessings over your family. Release them from that. Protect them from that. He says, number six, keep it up today, tomorrow, this year, and next. So here it is. We talked about this last week. The Bible tells us that when we wake up, we're to die to ourselves. We're to take up our cross, and we're to follow after Christ, right? This is a piece of that. This is a piece of that because when somebody hurts you, you can say the words, I forgive you today, and you can wake up tomorrow, and the devil be beating you over the head with what happened 10 years ago, and you struggle through it. You've got to make a choice tomorrow morning as well. I still forgive that person. You've got to make a decision the next day. I still forgive that person. You've got to make a decision a year from now. You've got to make a decision 10 years from now. I still forgive that person. I'm not going to allow that to rule my life. And then number seven, he says, pray for them. He said, you've got to pray for them. And you don't pray for them that the Lord would convict them. See, this is how I prayed for so many years. When somebody hurt me, I just prayed the wrath of God on them. I prayed for them. You better believe it every day. But I was praying for conviction. 
I was praying that they would rightfully get exactly what they deserve for what they did to me. Aren't you thankful that God hasn't given you and I exactly what we deserve for everything we've done against him? Why in the world would we think it's okay to receive God's greatest gift and to keep it from anyone else? The story, and we talked about it early on in the series, but the story of the man that owed the king a great amount of, the rich man a great amount of money. And he came and he said, you got to pay me everything you owe me or I'm going to throw you in prison. And he pleaded and he begged with the rich man. You remember the story, the parable that Jesus told. <clears throat> and the guy forgives him what he owed him. The guy that has been forgiven goes out and he finds a guy that owes him just a little bit of money. And he says, pay me what you owe me or I'm going to throw you in prison. And the guy pleads, he does the exact same thing. And the guy that had just been forgiven says no, and he throws him in prison. What do you think that rich man thinks when he finds out? He's going to take care of it, right? Because he is unwilling to offer what has been offered to him. And I think so often people are walking around trapped in bitterness and unforgiveness, and they have received and received and received, but they've not given any. And so what he says is pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. My wife and I walked through something about, uh, that's about seven or eight months ago, uh, with a family that, that we knew, and, and uh, it, it was just, uh, just kind of a hurtful thing, and, and, and that relationship was just kind of broken. Um, it, it was really kind of an, a, a unique situation. It was not really anything that either side did, but all of a sudden, this, this other side just said, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with y'all, and it was very, it was, it was hard. It was hard. There was a lot of tears shed, a lot of tears from my children, a lot of tears from my wife. And it was just really a difficult thing that we walked through. And I can remember praying day in and day out, just before I read the book, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Would you please convict them that what they've done is wrong? And then I read the book, and I realized what I'm trying to do is play the Holy Spirit in their life, and that's not my calling. My calling is just to say, Lord, you're in control. You're seated on the throne. And whatever you see fit to do, you do it. What I'm going to do is just pray that you bless them. And it was very difficult. And I can remember the first day praying that God would bless them. And the second day, God, that God would bless them. And my wife and I prayed for almost two weeks. And this family came back. And the Lord has really restored that relationship. And it's really been a beautiful thing to watch. Now, I'm not saying that we did everything right. And I'm not saying that we were rewarded for that. What I am saying is it was not until the time that we came to the place where we said, Lord, please bless them that God turned the thing around. So here's the question that I want you to discuss. Which step is the most difficult for you personally and why? Personally. So I, you got to talk about you for a moment. Which one of these steps is the most difficult for you? See, I think that there's people in this room that have been hurt, that have been trapped in a cage of bitterness and unforgiveness, and God so desires for you to step out of that cage and walk in freedom. Something's holding you back. Sometimes when we look at these steps, one of them will stick out a little bit. So I'm going to put them up on the screen, take some time and discuss them. All right, guys, he says, it says in uh, Luke 6.37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
So he says, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. This is what Dr. Kendall really kind of closes out the last chapter of the book, and then he has a conclusion, like a short three or four page chapter that we'll talk a little bit about next week. Um, but this is kind of the last thing he, he finishes with. He talks about this whole idea of praying a blessing over people. And what he says is, he says there are five stages in praying for your enemies. Okay, there's five stages. And he says the first stage is the stage of duty. In other words, you pray for God's blessing because you are called to pray for God's blessing. You don't really want to. How many of you have ever done something you didn't want to do, but you still did it anyways? All right, am I the only one in here? All right, I mean, I cleaned out the dishwasher last night. I did not want to clean out the dishwasher. Okay, I had my wife fold, fold clothes last night. I did not want to fold the clothes. Okay, sometimes you just have to do something. How many of you have ever woken up and did not want to go to work? Anybody? This morning, okay, today, good, yeah. All right. How many of you woke up and you just wanted to go do your hobby on your day off, but you knew your kids had 17 birthdays? Okay, you know, does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, you just wanted to play golf, okay? And, and, and you just couldn't do it. Sometimes we just have to do stuff we don't want to do. And this is what he says. I'll be honest with you. If I could just be transparent. There are days I get up, I do not want to read the Bible. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I don't feel good. Maybe I overslept a little bit. I've got tons of stuff on my plate today, and I don't feel like reading the Bible. I hope that's okay to say. hope no one's like, oh my goodness. Sometimes I don't feel like praying, but that's what God's called me to. And why would I go on to anything else before I do what God has called me to do? See, he's called me to go to work, but first he's called me to spend time with him. Jesus demonstrated that for us in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, when it says that Jesus left the house while it was still dark outside, went to a secluded place, got alone with the Father, and he prayed. And then it says the disciples went looking for him like this was something new, like, well, where, where are you at, Jesus? And Jesus was just spending time with the Father. It's like when Mary and Joseph had to come back to Jerusalem and said, where, where have you been? They said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He was doing what he was supposed to do. All right, so we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to do. And one of those things is praying for God's blessing over the person that has hurt us or the people that have hurt us. But what he says is the first stage is it's just the stage of duty. Somebody has hurt me. I've said the words, I forgive you. And now my job, God has called me to pray God's blessings over that person. I don't feel like it. I'm still struggling with it. I still have the memories, I'm still thinking through it, I'm still wrestling through it, there's still consequences, but I'm just praying for God's blessing. He says, the second thing, the second reason is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the second stage is the stage of debt, the stage of debt. I want to read it to you, he says, you have reached the second level when you are so conscious of what you have been forgiven of that you cannot help but pray for your enemy." So you just feel this debt to the Lord. God, this is what you have given to me. And I want the same thing for the person that has hurt me. You do not want God to spill the beans on you, so you pray that your enemy, too, will be spared. So you've kind of gone past this as duty. Now you're praying out of debt. God, this is what you've done for me, and I pray you'll do it for other people. So it's this idea of debt. He says the third stage is the stage of desire. The stage of desire. He said, you begin to pray for your enemy because it is what you really want. Now, you say, how in the world do you get to a place 
when somebody hurts you deeply, that you pray for them so much that all of a sudden you actually want them to prosper. You want that. I'm not talking finances. I'm talking the blessings of God. That you actually desire that to be. How can I get to that place? Well, I don't know if you realize this, but the closer you get with Jesus, the more he changes you into him. Not being Jesus. We're not going to be God. But he changes your heart more to be like his. And all of a sudden, the things that you used to desire, you don't desire as much anymore. It's called sanctification. I'm becoming more like Christ. I heard a story one time that a pastor said. He said, here's the deal. He said, if I was to show up to preach tonight, and uh, I showed up and I was late. I was running 30 minutes behind, and I got up on the platform and I said, hey guys, I'm so sorry that I'm running late, but uh, on the way here I had a flat tire. And I stopped to change that flat tire, and one of the lug nuts rolled out in the middle of the road, and I had to run out there and dodge traffic to get it, and I finally found it, and I got my tire put back on, and and that's why I'm late. The pastor said, you could believe a story like that. It's a little far-fetched, but you could believe it. He said, but what if I showed up 30 minutes late, and I said this, hey, guys, I'm so sorry I'm late, but I had a flat tire on the way here, and when I was changing it, one of the lug nuts rolled out in the middle of the road, and he said, I ran out to get it, And an 18-wheeler ran slap over me. I'm talking about just boom. He said, you know, bones hanging out, blood everywhere. I just kind of sucked myself back together, and here I am. I'm sorry I'm late. He said, could you believe a story like that? And everyone's like, no. And he said, why? He said, because of this. When an 18-wheeler runs over you, it changes you. He said, it'll probably kill you, but it's going to change you. He said, here's the reality. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes you. Major Ian Thomas once said in a book he wrote, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes your mind, will, and emotions. That's every aspect of your being. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more he changes you into being like him. To begin to think like him. To respond like him. To desire the things that he desires. And so the more you pray for God to bless people, the more God puts his heart inside of you. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit that is inside of you begins to produce these fruits. You've heard of them. The fruit of the Spirit. You see, so many people are so focused on trying to accomplish these fruits. Them trying to be kind. Them trying to be faithful. The reality is, you and I can't do those things. And if that is the The thing that is set before us, we're going to fall flat on our face because you and I, in our flesh, apart from the Holy Spirit, cannot produce those things. That's why they're called the fruits of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And so as you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, all of a sudden you say, I I desire this too. See how God changes your heart. I don't know about you, but I want my heart to be changed. You know, along that same line of that story, I heard a preacher in Alabama one time say that if you're the same person today that you were before you said a prayer, you're not saved. If there's no change, you never got saved. You said some words, you got dunked under the water, but you're not saved. So the reality is when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we draw near to him, He begins to instill inside of us his desire for people. And so he says the third of the five stages is the stage of desire. The fourth one, he says, is the stage of delight. The stage of delight. 
He says the light, this takes desire a step further. It is when you love doing it, you get joy from praying for and blessing your enemies. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not to this stage yet. I'm just being honest with you. That's a difficult stage to get to. This is a stage I'm like, Lord, I want to delight in this. I preached at uh, Bricky's Prison in Bricky's, Arkansas. Has anybody on the prison ministry in here? Has anybody, have you you've been to Bricky's? Anybody else? I'm just telling you right now, guys, you, wanna, you want your life to be blessed. We have prison ministry here at Bellevue. You can sign up. Now, you've got to go through all the background check and do all that stuff, obviously, because you're going to go into a prison. But you can go and be a part of this and minister to the inmates. And so my first time going down there, Phil Weatherwax invited me to go down to Bricky's, Arkansas and preach. I was nervous as a cat. I mean, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Phil's trying to prepare me. You can't take your phone in. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, just keep your distance. You don't touch anybody. I mean, it's just all these rules. And then we get in there, and Phil's just hugging everybody. I'm like, well, you, you know, I mean, what happened to not touching anybody? What happened to not, you know, keeping our distance, you know? So I'm sitting down here, and this guy comes in, and I begin to talk to him, and I said, hey, you know, what's your story? We got about two minutes. And he said, well, I killed about five or six people. And I've been in prison about 45 years. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. I'll, you just, there's a seat in the back corner for you, brother. And he said, but you know what? I got here and I got saved. And he said, I started taking online classes at Liberty. I got a degree and now I teach Bible here in the prison. And he said, I'm leading people to Jesus. Phil told me, he said, you can't you can't leave them anything. You can't take them a Bible and leave it. So what Phil does, now don't tell a secret, okay? I may get in trouble. Phil always takes a new Bible with him and he accidentally leaves it there, okay? And that way one of the inmates gets his Bible, okay? So that's, that's, that's the new thing. So I'll take a Bible and leave it there. And so he leaves his Bible and this guy said, he goes, man, I'm getting these Bibles and I'm leading these people to the Lord and, 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 and I'm giving them to people and people are getting saved in here. And I said, wow, I said, how have you gotten past everything you've been through in your life? He said, you know, there were some people in my life that I used to have such a hard heart towards because of things they did to me. And this is what he said. He said, but let me tell you the greatest thing you can do is release them over to the Lord, forgive them, and pray that God will bless them. That was about 10 years ago. I've never forgotten that man. Because he had reached a place where his words to me were the, one of the greatest things you can do is forgive people that have hurt you. This is a guy that's in prison for the rest of his life has reached this place. The last one is the stage of durability. Now, let me read it to you. He says, this means that what you look on as a lifelong commitment becomes a lifestyle. So it's not only just a commitment. Now all of a sudden, it's just who you are. How many of you know that in order to set up a habit, you got to do it over and over for a while, and then all of a sudden it just becomes a part of who you are? I remember growing up, my mom had to tell me to brush my teeth every night, every morning, same thing. It took years, many years. Now it's just a part of who I am. I wake up, I brush my teeth. I go to bed, I brush my teeth. It's just a part of who I am. And this is what he says. When you continue down that lifelong commitment, it becomes a lifestyle. The thought of turning back or praying in a different way is out of the question. It becomes a habit and no longer seems like something extraordinary. It becomes a habit, and no longer seems like something extraordinary. He said, these are the five stages of praying for your enemies. So I want to ask the question, well, 
Let me do this first. He said, another surprising consequence of your prayer is just maybe your enemy may become your friend. Maybe. Doesn't mean that's going to happen. Doesn't mean that you're ever going to talk to him again. Doesn't mean that you're going to become best friends. Doesn't mean you're going to go on vacation with. But it is amazing what God can do with what we say is impossible. Because when it's impossible with us, it's possible with God. Quick testimony to this is when I was very young, and I've shared this story before a couple semesters ago. When I was, very, when I was born, I was born extremely pigeon-toed. My feet were all the way in. And the doctors told my parents, You're gonna have to, we're going to have to do surgery. My parents decided not to do surgery and that we were just going to work towards physical therapy and trying to build my feet back out. And so as I began to toddler in those early years, I fell all the time. I was always falling because my feet were just so pointed in. And I can remember, I, I believe I was seven years old, we went to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Rogers, Arkansas. And I remember a new family moved to Rogers. And this family came to church, and the young man's name was Chris. And Chris made fun of me. And when I say made fun of me, he had the Sunday school class and Wednesday nights, and it went on for weeks of them just making fun of me. I finally went home in tears one night, and I told my mom, I can't go back. I can't do it. So my mom did what any great mom would do. She called Chris's mom. And my mom said, and I quote, I don't think you'll have to worry about that anymore. That's what happened when she hung up the phone. I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, The tone of voice she was yelling at Chris, who was on the other side of the house when I was hanging up the phone, told me she is going to deal with it. So Miss Kilman, I found out years later, Miss Nancy, she dealt with it. Chris Chris got dealt with, okay? And the next Sunday, I was sitting in Sunday school class, and Chris walked in. And I will never forget, he came to me and he said, listen, um, I know we don't know each other, uh, but I was very wrong for the things that I said to you, for making fun of you. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry. It'll never happen again, and I'm in your corner. I didn't know what that meant. I'm in your corner. And he became this guy that watched out for me. Now, he was doing it out of duty because he did not want to go home and get the whippings, okay? But he was just that guy. I mean, if I fell, he was there. If someone said anything, he was there to deal with it. He was right there. And over the next six months, Chris Kilman became my best friend. It was unbelievable. And we became inseparable and became one of the guys that encouraged me most in my faith. Amazing what God can do in the midst of some of the most hurtful things that I've ever walked through. So that's a possibility. But don't worry about that. If God allows that to happen, then so be it. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. What does he say? And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. God loves reconciliation. God loves for us to offer forgiveness. So with this idea of prayer, these five stages, what stage are you on in the forgiving others process? Now, you may say, Derek, uh, I'm on stage zero because I pray for them, but I pray for their conviction and the wrath of God. Or you may say, I'm on, I'm on stage uh, you know, .00, I'm not praying for them at all. That's okay. That's all right. At least you're honest, and we can work towards that. But I want you to take and discuss it. What stage are you on in the forgiving others process? Or another question, if you don't feel comfortable answering that question is, which stage do you think is going to be the most difficult? Which stage do you think is going to be the most difficult? There's the stages right there. Take some time. Um, I'm going to give you a few minutes, five, six minutes, and then I'm going to put a prayer on the screen, just something to pray over each other at the table, and then we'll wrap it up with praying over one another.
Take some time. All right, guys. Hey, let's close out our time together, and uh, I just want us to pray together around the table. Uh, before, before I do that, ne- next Wednesday will be our last Wednesday together, and I really hope you're going to be here. Um, we're going to do just a few things together. We're going to kind of close out this time on forgiveness, but I've got some homework for you to do this week. You say, are you kidding me? Yes. Or no, I'm not kidding you. Yes. I've got homework for you. Okay? All right, but your homework is to listen to the Lord. Okay? So what I want you to pray over each other at the tables is pray that the Lord would bring to mind anyone that you need to forgive or that you need to ask for forgiveness. Anyone. Now, I just got asked a great question. You know, what about something that you've thought about a hundred times that happened in the third grade between you and Sally Sue or whatever? You know, we all did some boneheaded things when we were in the second, third grade, okay? I don't think you have to look that person up on Facebook and drive to South Carolina and tell them you forgive them, okay? All right, I, they, believe me, they don't remember it, okay? What you do is you take it to the Lord. You confess to the Lord, say, Lord, for however many years I've held on to this and I don't want it anymore. I, wanna, I want you to know I forgive that person and uh, I confess it and I'm praying a blessing on that person. I don't know if they're married. I don't know where they live. I don't know if they're even still alive, but I'm praying you will bless them. Okay, But what I want you to do is, I want you to say, Lord, I want to walk in the freedom and the victory that you've created for me. He has created a way for you and I to walk in victory. I want to walk in that. I don't want to hold on to anything. Or maybe there's somebody right now, you already know who it is. And you're saying, I don't know that I can. And you're correct, you can't. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the Holy Spirit through you can forgive. And get you to a place where out of duty you're praying for the blessings over that person. And move on down to those different stages. So I want you to pray over this. And then this week, I just want you to be open to the Lord and say, Lord, whoever it is. And I want you just to write their name down. Put in your notes in your phone. Write it on a little piece of paper. And I want you to bring it back next Wednesday night. Now you're not going to show it to anybody. I'm not going to see it. I don't want the person beside you to see it. It's just for you. So whether that's in your notes, it's on a little piece of paper, that may be zero names, it may be one name, maybe 50 names. I want you to write them all down, every single one of them, okay? And I want you to bring it next Wednesday night, and we're going to talk about what we're going to do with it, okay? Take some time, pray over each other around your table. We'll see you next Wednesday.